The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Last week, we talked about how our identity in Christ is, is foundational. It's what brings us together, what makes us one. And how we walk with Christ and how we live that out in community and, and how that looks. And, and it really focuses on love. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But um, what I want to do this morning, I'm just going to read through the rest of this letter from verse 8 to the end. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and raise your hand. One of the ushers will put one in your hand. We always want uh, to have everybody reading God's Word, listening to God's Word, holding on to it. Because that is where our authority is. It's not from me and what I'm saying up here, but we're focused on the Word of God. So if you need one, uh, raise your hand. They'll put one in your hand. Amen? All right. Uh, if you're looking for Philemon, it's towards the back. Uh, sometimes it might be good to use the table of context because in most it's like one page. And so I'm flipping back and forth, and if I don't have something set in there, I miss it. I'm like rubbing pages to make sure I get that one page in there. So if you're there, I hope you are. We're going to read. All right. It says, accordingly, and so according to what we talked about, those foundational identity and living in community, it says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Comprehend your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. This is a great letter. And last week... Um, kind of did an overview, and I want to touch on a few things from that. 
just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Right? This, this letter would have been written at the same time as the letter to the church at Colossae, or Colossians as we call it. Uh, and, and these would have been delivered together and actually delivered by this guy. We talked about Tychicus and Onesimus. The person he's pleading for reconciliation with is going to be there delivering this letter. And so, uh, and these letters would be, even though this is a personal letter, would be read aloud to the congregation. And so I want you to think of this. Here's this, this, this runaway slave, this bondservant who has left, and we don't know the full story of why or what happened. We don't know. Uh, some speculate that there, he, he had to steal uh, in order to allow him to fund his trip to Rome where he meets Paul. And, and so we don't know the full extent of this, but we know that he's run away. And, and culturally in that time, uh, the, the, the master of the house who worked, that bondservant worked for, had full reign to do whatever punishment he wanted, up to and including death. And in that culture, death would have included death on a cross, crucifixion. And so here's this guy, and now he's coming with this letter, and he's going to be standing right there in front of Philemon. A little awkward? Probably a little awkward, right? And sometimes uh, that's something that we, we have to deal with in our faith. Is, is when, when circumstances change, when, when uh, this guy Onesimus is a new creation, uh, there can be some awkwardness. The other thing I want to point out, just before we get started, it's very important, especially if you're a guy like me, is, uh, is verse 11. And so Onesimus... Uh, the translation can be either beneficial or most commonly useful. And so Paul says, formerly this guy useful was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. And this is the first biblical dad joke. Who's with me? Who's grinding to make, get, get better at that, right? All right, got some dad joke guys out there. Get eyes rolls most of the time. My oldest loves the dad joke, but I just want to encourage you. If you're a dad working on that, it's a biblical thing. We got a dad joke right here, all right? Uh, but seriously, what we need to focus in on here is, is what Paul is trying to accomplish. And so he is, he is trying to uh, accomplish a reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon, and Philemon would be the, the church leader. The church meets in his house. He's one of the leaders in that church in Colossae. Um, and there's going to be some friction there. And so what, what we find is that Onesimus, Paul is saying basically, look, he is one with you now. You're unified in Christ and so we got some things to work out. I want you to welcome him as a brother. So that brings us to our main point. Uh, please write this down. Take notes. Uh, this is our point. Jesus redeems us, redeemed us. So we live as one. We get to live as one in Christ because of the work of Christ on the cross. So Jesus redeemed us, so we live as one. Now, I left a little cliffhanger last, note, last week. Somebody from a, a small group was really excited about it, but I'm going to let you down a little. But 
We're going to talk about it. So I said, why is this letter the only one Paul writes where he lists love before faith? All of his other letters, when he's writing to somebody, he lists faith and then love in that order. And theologically, we know that that's kind of the order, right? We have to have faith to rightly love. But in this one, he leads with love and he focuses on love. And I will tell you that he is doing this because he's, he's about to make a big ask. He's making a request that is very difficult. And he wants the focus to be rightly on the heart and not on rules, not on moral obligation. And so that is why he leads with love. And we're going to see that as, as we dig into the word, why that is so important. He writes this to remind Philemon that uh, the identity of oneness in Christ and how we live that out in faith as we walk with Christ in community, with each other, participating, has to be focused on love. Paul writes this letter, and, and some commentators have said this is one of the most diplomatic letters. I, I mean, it, there's, there's beauty in the art of how he wrote this. He, he's, he's very sincere in his encouragements and exhortation. He, he's, he's genuine in his compliments, but he has a purpose. And that purpose is he wants to uh, prepare Philemon's heart to deal with this awkward situation of reconciling his runaway servant to himself. And so as he prepares him, he's, he's like, look, this is going to require love. First and foremost, a love for Christ. Second, a love for Paul, because he's the one making the request. And then eventually, a love and to look on another follower with love to make a decision of what he is to do. And that brings us to our first point. We are one, so we choose love. And this thrust of this letter really, uh, it comes into focus in these first verses, 8 through 14. And what Paul is looking is he wants Philemon to make a choice. He wants him to choose love over compulsion. In fact, he starts out in verse 8, he says, look, I'm bold enough to command you to do what is required. And when I first read that, I was like, well, if he's saying that, he's not really giving him any wiggle room. He's basically saying, I have apostolic authority, and you're going to do what I say, but in an underhanded kind of gentle way. And as I dug in, as I studied this, I realized that that is not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's setting new relational ground rules. He's, he's changing the playing field to make sure Philemon knows we are one. We're equal. We're standing together side by side for Christ. And I'm, I'm going to make a request based on our unity in Christ, not on an authority that I hold over you. And, and it's, it's very important that that is set because in, in other situations, uh, if I, he received this letter... He would take it as, hey, I'm commanded by the authority of this apostle to do this thing. 
But Paul is very clear. He does not want him to be uh, compelled out of a moral obligation or, a, or a, a, an obligation that he feels religiously, but he wants to compel him with love. And so he says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then and he brings himself down into a, a position. He says, look, I'm an old man. I'm aged. I'm in prison for Christ. And all this kind of goes for him to set a table where you don't need to do what I sell you. But I'm asking you to do this. I'm appealing to you. And so as he crafts this letter, Paul uses continuous love language or, or language to evoke an emotional response of love. First, he, he describes Onesimus as his child his child in the faith. And we don't know how Onesimus got from Colossae to Rome. And even when he got there, how he came into contact and met Paul for that gospel opportunity for Paul to share the truth and for him to be changed, for the Spirit of God to convict him and, and draw him in. And we don't know how all that works, but, but obviously God had his hand in it and did that work and then drew Onesimus to himself and made him new. And so he's saying, this, this person that I poured out my heart and soul to, I poured out the gospel to, is I'm, I'm having to send him back. He's my child. In fact, he refers to him in, in verse 12 as my very heart. There's a deep love there that he wants Philemon to understand. And I think he wants us to understand that as well. He's trying to say, look, uh, I want you all to make it right between you guys for your own heart. And the good of the other person. Because you're one in Christ. Because this is spiritually good for your growth. Because I will tell you, theologically, if we got a bunch of theology and we don't have the heart behind it, we're apt to fall. It really leads to a pride instead of a true faith. And so we want that heart of love that grounds us. And Paul even says, look, I'm sending him to you. I would have been glad to keep him because he's been ministering to me. He's been caring for me. But I'm going to send him back because I don't want to do this without your approval. And in that moment, Paul's saying, look, my desire for you guys to have that spiritual bond, to grow, to be reconciled so there isn't a, a friction and a break relationally is more important than my comfort. It's more important to me that, that your spiritual good is taken care of before my physical good is as I sit in prison. It overrides all the other things. So he doesn't want him to be compelled he wants him to choose love. And this love is a biblical theme we see throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. Uh, the, this obedience out of love. Uh, the idea, even in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, this is Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not when you keep my commandments, you'll love me. He's putting them in right order. And so out of a heart of love, you can keep my commandments. So when we love God first, we are able to vertically 
are able to horizontally love others. And that heart posture is, is huge. Now, take some time to go through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and see how many times Christ refers to heart issues over actions. He's like, yeah, you can do all the outside stuff without a heart of love and, and you, you're missing the point. Now, I'll tell you, religiously, I think we can all struggle with this sometimes. We do the right thing just because we know we, we kind of have to. Like God said so, so I got to do it. And I'm not doing it out of a heart of love that is, is driving that. I'm doing it because it's a list of rules I got to follow. And that's, that's where the, the, the God's people failed in the Old Testament. They had a law. They had a huge list of rules and regulations they had to follow. But when they lost sight of the love, they fail. And, and so that has to drive us. And I know I want you to hear this. I want you to take hold of this because you can do all the religious things. And it's of no avail if our heart is not changed. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Here's an illustration of it. So, uh, and depending on where you're at, you're either on the parent end or the child end or you have been. Um, who has rules in their house? Right? We got rules in the house. Sometimes they're posted. For a while, we had a list of rules. They were posted on the wall. It was like the golden rule and the Ten Commandments and, and, and how to live in our home well. And then some specifics, like this is the things that you got to do. For example, one of the rules in our house is you got to keep your room clean, right? And when I remind my children that they got to keep their room clean, the response is, <sighs> anybody got those in their house? Experience that? They're following the rules. The room's going to get clean because dad said so. But man, how awesome would it be if they just did it because they loved they obeyed out of love. It would be good for us in our relationship. It would be good for them as their heart grows. And it would change that aspect where it's no longer a list that i got to check off. No longer a religious exercise. But it is out of a relationship first and foremost for Christ and then for those around us. Love, not compulsion. And every day, every single day, we have an opportunity to choose love. And this might look different in your life, depending on where you're at. But the bottom line is the same. We're, we're called to be one. And so we choose love. That brings us on to the next point. We are one. We've chosen love. We are one. So we live reconciled. And this kind of comes to, to the thrust of Paul's request here. He wants reconciliation. He wants these relationships to be brought back together for things that broke it to be fixed, for things to be made right. And to do this, he's asking Philemon to look at Onesimus differently. He's saying, he is a new creation. He's not the one who ran away, possibly stole from you. He's not that person anymore. Christ has changed him. 
He, he is a, a disciple. He is a follower. He is zealously serving the Lord as he's, as he's pouring back physically into Paul. And Paul is teaching him for his spiritual good. He's growing. He's saying, look, the, the thing that separated you, the, the eternal separation has been removed. And you're one. And so we got some changes to the rules, right? If we remember, a few weeks back, we, we kind of broke down the end of chapter 3 on Colossians into verse 4, 1, and, and it was about household rules, kind of relational household rules. How does a husband and wife respond to each other? How do they come together? What are the rules that they live by? How does a parent-child situation look in your home? And then, as I said, uh, you know, we, we refer and depend on the translation you have, it's slave or servant or bond servant. Um, and I, we, we kind of need to remove some of the, the stuff that we've been filled with. This isn't, this isn't American history slavery. Uh, when we're talking about this, it's, it's it, the servant worked in the household. They were part of the household. Think more like Victorian era house servant. Sometimes they would be a part of, you know, the, the will. They would, they would get an inheritance or, you know, but they were in the household. And that's why that piece is added in Colossians is because it's, it's household relational rules. And if, if the bondservant is a follower of Christ, then he should be working as unto the Lord to give glory to God. He should have integrity and be willing to do that. And the master should be treating that person well because he knows that he has a master in heaven. So he should be a reflection of that. And so as he's receiving these letters of instruction, relational instruction, and here's this person, he needs to see him as a new creation. He needs to take off the, the lens of this is the person that stole from me and ran away from me. And he needs to see him for who he is. He is a disciple of Christ. And that is the only way that they can have reconciliation. And we have to understand this. And, and Paul gets that. He's, he's trying to show him that this is a changed person. He says, perhaps that's why you are parted. For a short time, so that you can be together eternally. He says, you know, it's, it's important for me in Onesimus, but how much more so for you? You're in one flesh, not in the marriage sense, but you're, you're one, and he's part of your household. You've worked together, but also spiritually, he's your brother in Christ. And this is only possible through the redemption that we have in Christ. Reconciliation never happens apart from this, not true reconciliation. The redeeming work of Christ drives all that. And so we are one, so we display redemption. How many of us think about the redemption of our souls daily. How many of us think on the work that Christ did 
that he stepped out of the glory of heaven to come down because that list of rules, we couldn't keep it. And the only thing it did for us was reveal how sinful we were and how big that gap was and that we ain't getting there on our own. And so he came and he lived that perfect life and he went to pay a debt. The debt for sin. The debt for sin is death. Spiritual death. And he came to pay it, not coerced, but out of love. And so he went to the cross willingly, purposefully, to pay for us, to stand in the gap, to pay the debt that we owed so that he could reconcile a people to himself, so that he could buy us back to make us his own, to, to pay for the wrath and justice that is deserved. And so he took the holy wrath of God on him on the cross. As that was poured out, the debt we owed was covered, no longer seen, and we are standing before a holy God and all he sees is his son. And Paul is showing this. He is reflecting this so that one, Philemon can see, but really for us, as we think about how this looks in our life. And he says, so if you consider me a partner, your partner, if we're in this faith together, if we're one, I want you to receive Onesimus just like you would receive me. Those who have been redeemed and forgiven offer that to others freely. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So he's like, if there's a debt, and I get it, he, he's run away and he might have stole from you. And if there's a debt, I'm going to pay it. And when he writes in his own hand, it's like a legal document. He's saying that I'm going to take the punishment for Onesimus. Like I said, this could be anything up to and including death, even death by crucifixion. And Paul is, is saying, like, this is what Christ did for me, and I'm willing to show you that for you. And then as a little gospel reminder, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. And he's reminding him of his redemption. And it's believed that Paul led Philemon to Christ. And so he's just reminding him, hey, I'm willing to pay the price, but I want you to know that somebody's already paid the price for you. And so in order to be reconciled, we have to remember that we are redeemed people. I want you to think about in your life, have you ever experienced something like this? Either you were a different person, like I said, I came to faith later in life, and I dealt with people who go, what happened? You're different, dude. And so unbelievers were like, yeah, there's something weird. Why don't you come back to being the way you were? And even believers were like, I remember who you were. I'm a little shaky on you right now, right? You ever had that experience? 
where, where somebody has come to faith, they're a new creation, and maybe there was relational hurt in the past, and you're like, I don't really want to, I don't want to release you from that debt. I don't see you as that new creation. I still see the hurt. And that debt of relational hurt, we like to hold on to, right? There is a, a great parable about the unforgiving servant. And, and, and the king just clears his debt, a huge debt, an unpayable debt. And he just freely says, I'm going to absorb it. I'm just going to take that debt on myself. And you're free. And then that servant immediately goes out and he sees another servant and he starts choking him out, saying, you owe me. And it's a little debt in comparison, but he says, you owe me. You're going to pay me what you owe. And I think we do that. We forget how much we have been redeemed, what the great cost was, and we hold other people's debts against them instead of reflecting Christ and saying, I'm going to release you from that debt. I'm going to forgive you freely and forever. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here as he writes this, as he is inspired, saying we should live reflecting the redemption that we've received. And so are we displaying our redemption? Is it leading to reconciliation where there's been wounds? And that brings us to our last point. We are one, so we have hope. It's funny because Paul leads to this section with, with an interesting statement. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. And again, this isn't because he has authority, but he's confident that the, the, the heart change that has happened, the, the love of Christ leads to this unity, this oneness in Christ. And because of that, he's like, I know that you're going to do what is right and good. And so he's, he's reflecting a hope in Christ through his people. A hope of oh, obedience to God's commands because of love. Our hope in Christ should drive a confidence in those around us. We should think the best of those in our community. We should have expectations and we should exhort each other the right choice. And it's all based on Christ. I think it goes on, and this always blows my mind when I read Paul's letters that he wrote from prison. He's like, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. <laughs> like, I'm in prison, but... I believe that through your prayers, I'm going to return to you. Just a confident hope. Like God's still got work for me to do. I'm coming. So, so get a room ready. Says, and, and then, you know, I think when I read this, I was like, what, what's the prison that I sit in that I, I, I don't see the hope? that I lose focus. Maybe it's uh, a feeling of like a financial prison. You know, I'm, I, I don't have what I need financially and, and I feel locked in. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a job that you're like, man, I don't know. I feel like this is a dead end. I feel trapped. 
Do we lose hope in Christ? Do our eyes come off of him and just focus on that that's around us? Or do we do what Paul did and say, I'm confident in Christ and I have hope that, one, people, believers, are, are going to do the right thing and, and two, that God's going to continue to use me for his glory. So he says, I, I, I'm coming. And that hope, that all only comes because we are one. We are one in Christ because of his loving sacrifice, because he reconciled us to himself, because he redeemed us through his blood. We have life and we can choose love because Jesus paid the price for us. And so we're going to get ready in a minute to uh, receive communion. We're going to go to the Lord's table. But I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to come up, and then we'll walk through that. So, Father in heaven, we love you. We need you. We thank you this morning to remind, for reminding us that we are a redeemed people. That through the work of Christ on the cross, we are made one with him, with each other. We are given power to live life, to choose love, to reconcile broken relationships, to reflect the redemption that we have received. Lord, and, and, and we fully, fully humble ourselves and come before you and, and just say thank you, Lord. Now, our words aren't enough to express our gratitude for the debt that you paid, for the life that you've given us. That we can gather even here this morning, no matter what our background is, we can focus on the one unifying thing that continues to bring us together, that continues to drive our life, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we pray that you would receive all glory and honor and praise this morning. And we remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name.